Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. Uh, starting with just a tiny confession, I, um, when I first read this story from Acts, uh, the thing that actually gave me the chills was not all the violent stuff, if I'm honest. The thing that gave me the chills when I first read this story uh, was that part when Paul had someone following him around for days who said the same thing over and over and annoyed the living spit out of him. I think I have never related to the Apostle Paul more than in verse 18 when it says somebody was tap dancing on his last nerve. I never felt such kinship with him as when it says that Paul was greatly annoyed and finally just snapped. There is, of course, so much other high drama in this Bible story. So when I chose this text, I thought for sure that I would preach about our sisters here in the Denver Women's Prison or I'd preach about the violence of xenophobia, or I'd preach about the trauma of natural disasters, all of which are worthy of sermons, and none of which mattered after I got a certain text message from a friend. I had what we call a pretty good plan for a sermon until something happened. And then this one particular part of our text was all I could think about. What happened is that sadly, tragically, I received a message that my friend's 76-year-old mother had just that day died by suicide. And then a couple days later, the state of Colorado published some grim statistics about teen suicide. And then the New Yorker ran some alarming essays about child suicide. And then I heard how many funerals there have been here at Montview for those who died by their own hand. So after all that, all I could think about was that prison guard in our story who was about to kill himself. And there was one particular question about one particular moment in the text that just kept haunting me, which is this. What thoughts formed in the mind of the jailer in the time between waking up and drawing his own sword? What lies did he believe to be true when he reached for it? That he'd failed at his job? Not true. And could never survive the repercussions of his failure? Also likely not true. That his family was better off without him? Most certainly not true. That he was not worthy to live? Not even a little bit true. If there is something to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I order you to come out of him, it would be the lies that led him to reach for his sword. There's a reason that in parts of the Hebrew Bible, the devil is called Hasatan, 
which translates the accuser. The accuser. It is the voice of the accuser that tells us lies about ourselves and about other people. Maybe we can never know what thoughts form in the minds of those who cause fatal harm against themselves. But I do know that the accusing voice that bullies them, the accusing voice that lies to them, that makes them lift their sword against themselves is not the voice of God. I do not know what thoughts form in the minds of those who cause fatal harm to themselves, what lies they are believing to be true, but I do know this. I do know, in fact, I am intimately aware of the unholy mix of anger and guilt and grief that visits we who have survived the suicide of someone we love. Who among us has not been touched by this brutally complicated sorrow? I do know that Hasatan is greedy and is not satisfied with telling lies just to those who cause themselves harm because the voice of the accuser, it comes after us as well. Making us think we actually could have kept that friend or loved one alive if only we'd returned their last voicemail or said the right thing or didn't say the wrong thing or showed up just a couple of hours earlier than we did and yet it doesn't really work like that. We so often are left assuming that something that would have helped us could have helped them. But an encouraging touch or word is emotional ibuprofen, universally helpful for small aches and pains, but as beautiful as it is, it does very little for severe agony. In our text, I'm deeply moved that Paul cried out in the darkness, do not harm yourself, we're all still here. And how that word was enough for that jailer to drop his sword. As an aside, I've often wondered if in Judas Iscariot's ears there was ever placed a word of grace. Did someone say, you're believing the wrong story entirely. Do not harm yourself, Judas. We're all still here. Do not choose death before seeing that death is done for. Yet as powerful as that can be, perhaps we best not tempt ourselves to believe that's all it ever takes because too many of us have stories of how that same thing didn't work at all. A friend told me last week that unfortunately, some cases of severe mental illness can be so chronic that she understands them as a terminal illness. It all feels impossible to get right. Because too many of us have stories of people we loved who either showed no signs at all and now we're left trying to make sense of the senseless or who showed all the signs in the world and no matter how much we begged them to not harm themselves because we're still here, it seemingly mattered not at all. And yet, importantly, sometimes it can matter. There are those in our lives, or maybe 
there are those in this room who were telling themselves a story with no escape but death, and yet someone said a thing or did a thing which diverted their impulse, and somehow they're still here. You're still here. And I praise God for that. So this is all such a tender, brutal, complicated mystery. And given all of that, we have to ask, does what we as the church do even still matter? Does it matter that we, what, read these old stories and sing these old songs and say these old prayers? I don't want to oversimplify it, but given that the suicide rate has risen astronomically in the last 15 years during the same period of time that our culture seems to have doubled down on the false story that autonomy is the highest good and that we do not need each other and that we do not need our elders and that the resources of creation are all disposable and for sale to the highest bidder and that the most valuable thing you can do is be a digital influencer of other humans mainly by lying about life and that you can actually manifest everything you want in life, and if you haven't managed to yet, it's just because you're not trying hard enough, and that whiteness is the arbiter of all things good and pure, and you better hope no one finds out you ever made a mistake, because in this story, there is no mercy. And, as a bonus, if you're wondering if you yourself are winning or losing in this story. There are heavily filtered images on Instagram you can judge your actual self against to determine the answer. And all it takes is unlocking your cell phone with your unsymmetrical face to find out. So if you're sitting here wondering if Christianity still matters, all I can say is it has to. And you know why? Because we have a better story. What was the Christ event, if not God telling the world that a story better than our violent human competition extravaganza is possible? That God was and will continue to redeem us and all creation through means that would never make them an influencer on Instagram. Through, men, through means like embarrassingly pregnant old women and messiahs conceived by unwed mothers and loving the enemy and dinner with sex workers and Sadducees and forgiveness of sins and a crucified savior and outrageous things said by scandalous women and the resurrection of wounded bodies and the resurrection of wounded bodies and the resurrection of wounded bodies. Christianity cannot do everything. It cannot, and I dare not say it can, but it can tell a better story. And don't we desperately need a better story right now? But to hear that better story, I need even just one other person to tell it to me. Because alone, 
I will always extrapolate only some information about my life and then start telling myself the wrong story convinced it's true. Alone, I will believe only what the accuser tells me about myself. Alone, I will despair. I mean, there's a reason Jesus said where two or more are gathered, he is there because we cannot create the word of the Lord for ourselves. Like that jailer, we need even just, just one other person to interrupt our story. Our text says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God when suddenly an earthquake shook the foundations of the prison, opening doors and shackles. And when the jailer awoke, he assumed they had escaped and drew his sword to kill himself when Paul shouted out, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And then the jailer brought them outside and the text said Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him. Paul and Silas, caught up in the better story of the good news of Jesus Christ, spoke the word of the Lord to their own jailer. And then caught up in that same gospel story, the jailer brought them to his home and washed the very wounds he was complicit in inflicting. Do not cause yourself harm for we're all still here. And there are wounds to clean and meals to share. And you are not, you are not gonna wanna miss the impossible, beautiful things to come. We are here and we want you to stay for all of it. Amen.